welcome to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We will be uploading sermons here regularly, so if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast to get notified of each new episode. This episode will feature night two of the Breakthrough Global Summit. Matthew 15, I'm going to read quite a bit and I'm going to tie uh, some principles together. I really only have maybe five points that I want to preach throughout of this, uh, but a couple of pieces I'm going to illustrate uh, creatively as we were driving today. God just gave me a couple of ways to tie this together, so I'm going to do my best to run in line with the theme, uh, but extract maybe just a little bit uh, differently within the context of the theme. Here is, uh, here's what Matthew would say to us from the 15th chapter. It says, then some Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem came to Jesus and said, why do your disciples violate the tradition handed down by the Jewish elders? For your disciples do not ceremonially wash their hands before they eat. I'm reading from the Amplified. It may read a little bit different. Uh, He replied to them, why also do you violate the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition handed down by the elders? For God said through Moses, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil or insults or treats improperly father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone says to his father or mother, whatever money or resource that I have that you would help, you is already given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother by helping them with their need. So by this, you have invalidated the word of God, depriving it of force and authority and making it of no effect for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, their people, these, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, for they teach as doctrines, the precepts of men. And after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said, listen and understand this. It is not what goes into the mouth of a man that defiles and dishonors him, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles and dishonors him. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say this? (laughs) He answered, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant will be torn up by the roots. Leave them alone. They are blind guides leading blind followers. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Uh, Tonight, uh, in as great brevity as I can, I want to talk to you from a concept I'm calling the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. Everybody shout it with me. The heart of the matter. I'm, I'm a country boy by trade. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Huntsville, Alabama. My uh, grandfather, my fathers, my uncles, all of them were farmers. That's all I grew up around. I mean, I was in the trenches with corn and beans and what have you. Uh, in our yard, we had several types of trees. We would have, we had a grapevine in the backyard, but then we had an apple tree, we had a peach tree. I mean, just country. I mean, in the middle of the summer, just go out and grab you whatever you want, and it's fine. Particular a summer that our peach tree started, the fruit of it started turning brown 
around the time it was time for us to pick it. And I learned about something that I had not ever heard of then in my teenage years. And it was called the brown rot disease. What happened to the fruit was not something that happened internally, but wind blew fungi on it. And if we didn't remove the infected fruit immediately, it would also infect the stems and ultimately affect the root. Y'all follow me so far? So it becomes necessary when you see infection to treat it before it goes too deep. Okay? The other side of that is I saw my grandfather resurrect an apple tree. A tree that looked like it could never bear fruit again. I watched him cut off the bark that was dead, put manure around the roots, and cultivated for years until it started to bear fruit again. What it began to teach me was, in the right environment, a little bit of crap will make you grow. Where I really want to deal with tonight is what is in and at your heart that is keeping you from producing at the level God called you to? And have you learned how to dress up fruitlessness? Have you become a master of making everybody else think you're producing something that your life has very little of? What the church has taught us how to do is to walk in environments and make everybody think we got it together when in all truth and in all reality we are in some of the greatest struggles of our life. And we have taught people how to fake it until you make it, how to dance on it until it actually happens. But what we have not taught them how to do is how you live when you walk outside of here that's going to make everything line up according to the word and to the wisdom of God. Here is where I want to delve and dig, even dealing with apostasy, because really what it is is glorified wickedness and rebellion. It never starts outside of the house. It always starts inside. It, whenever we're dealing with wickedness and rebellion on high levels, I'm never talking about a sinner being wicked and full of rebellion. I'm talking about somebody that says they know God, but their life don't line up with what they say. And I believe if the church is going to have the impact that we're called to impact. Gone are the days where we can talk about it but not live it. Gone are the days where we can preach about it and sing about it and pray about it and spend all night in Tarian services just to get up and live like hell on the other side of it. The devil is a whole lie. There's got to be something in us that wants more than what we already got. And I believe that all starts in the heart. Because what I've learned is, if God has your hands, but he don't have your heart, you can clap real loud, but nothing's really going to change. If God has your feet, but he don't have your heart, you may run a good race, but nothing in your life is going to change. God can even have your mind, but because you change it so often, he only has it on Sunday. What he really wants is your heart, because if he can get your heart, he can dictate your 
next move. He'll never have to worry about you being more tied to a system than you are the Savior. He'll never have to worry about you wanting the occupation more than you want the Lord that opened up the door for you in the first place. He'll never have to worry about you wanting the man or the woman more than you want the God that'll give you the right one in the right season at the right time. Sugar, it's all about the heart of the matter. And I would dare to say the greatest tragedy in the church is a lot of people that know church, but God don't have their heart. It is the root of apostasy. It is the beginning of the greatest tragedy. It is the source of false doctrine when he has our body, but he don't have our hearts. And what I want to be sure, woo, help me, Lord, help. I want to be sure that we do is that we're not so busy pointing at what others don't have right that we don't stop and say, God, examine my heart first. Now, now maybe that this little old school teaching, but, but I, I don't want to talk about the little bit of a speck that's in my sister's eye when I got a whole beam coming up out of mine and nobody's bad enough to address it because I think I'm too high and mighty for anybody to check anything about me. If you can't be checked, you can't be trusted, sugar. Somebody got to be able to tell you when you're out of order. Somebody got to be able to tell you when you're going down the wrong road. Somebody ought to be able to tell you, sugar, that it's not your husband. Get him out of the way and you be a You'll be okay with it. Take a deep breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Because right. here's what I've learned. Man, it is very possible for people to be physically present in a building, but God be nowhere with them. We have taught people the mechanics of showing up for church. So folks know when the door opened on Sunday morning, 10 a.m., you know where your seat is. You know where your spot is. You know when the right bump hit what you're supposed to do. But you have not learned when you walk outside of here how to say no to your greatest temptation. You have not learned how to resist the devil so he will flee and stay the heck away from you. What I want to dig into, and I'm going to do it through this text, is what happens when you think you got it together, but then the, the word incarnate shows you you ain't got it the way you think you do. Now, I, I need to build a case because uh, chapter 15 opens up with referencing that all of a sudden some Pharisees showed up. What's important to understand about why the Pharisees showed up is what Jesus was doing before they came. Because the only thing that draws the attention of detractors is when you're actually doing something that's making an impact. I, I would dare to say that some of us don't have nearly as many haters as we think we do. Because if we did, we'd be making a whole lot more of an impact than we are. Are y'all with me? That some of the people that you think don't like you live in your head. <laughs> 
everybody ain't subtweeting about you. Everybody's status ain't about you. You just in your head about what you think about you anyway. Consequently, every time you, re I know they talking about me, sugar. They ain't thought about you in three and a half years since they walked out your life. What makes you think they're about to drag old news into their new future? They ain't thinking about you. Anyway, um, anyway. <laughs> What, what happens in chapter, in chapter 14 that, that builds a case for this, number one, John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus is officially the man on the street. The one who baptized him is no more, and now Jesus rises as the one that everybody's looking to. The second thing that happens, Matthew says, he feeds 5,000, the miracle of multiplication. What he shows us in the feeding of the 5,000 right after John's passing is this, that even in the midst of tragedy, I can multiply. Now that may only matter to a few of y'all that know you have lived through some very tragic seasons, but watch God on the other end of your greatest tears grant you the greatest multiplication that you've ever seen. I'm looking for some folks that know what it's like to be on the road crying and not wanting to walk or go anywhere else, but as you went with him, you saw him do something that nobody else could do. I'm not talking about uh, just a promotion on the job. I'm talking about an increase that no man can take credit for, You've watched him do it, and nobody can tell you anything any different. But then he, he goes and he walks on water. He shows that he's not just the God of your resource, but he's the God of every source that's ever been created. So what he does is he begins to take a journey on something that no one else can walk on. He begins to walk on the water. And when he gets to the other side of walking on the water, the Bible says, and we don't talk about this enough, that as he walked into Gisinaret, that men, they brought the sick and the lame out to Jesus. And they touched the hem of his garment. And everybody that touched him was healed. The only one we preach about is the woman with the issue of blood. But there were more that had enough faith to touch just his robe. Saying, he don't have to touch me as long as I can touch something that's touching him. All right. Then... The haters showed up. It wasn't until they saw men being healed by the authority of a man who never touched them, but they touched him, that all of a sudden the Pharisees came from Jerusalem to call themselves dealing with Jesus. And here is where I want to take a couple of what I think are very interesting turns of the text. Y'all ready? Here's the first one I want to give you. Point one is this. And uh, point one is this. You know that there is a sign of an apostate heart, number one, with this. When they will attempt to use doctrine to deny miracles. When they only want to talk about religious rules that they've made up that have nothing to do with anything that Christ has done. I want y'all to take a deep breath. I don't want y'all to go back too far. But how many of y'all remember when you was a part of that church that all they wanted to do was tell you what you could not do and why you could not do it? They wanted to tell you how long your skirt needed to be, how little makeup you needed to wear, what, what, what you could not enter into and still be holy, but they could not give you proper text to support what it was they were creating. It is dangerous to live in environments 
where people put their tradition and regulate that over the word of God. If at any point the way I do it becomes more important than how he said it, my heart has already left him. If at any point you become more married to the way than the way, you have already left him. God is not trying to make you marry another system that he was never in. And gone are the day, Lord have mercy, where we begin to create our own rules and try to hold God to them. Where we attempt to create and regulate our own way of thinking that God has nothing to do with. So what I've learned is this, and I'm going to go back to this text, is that it's very possible for you to have been in church all your life and not know him when he shows up. It is very possible for you to spend decades saying that you know him, but when he walks in the room, if he doesn't come the way you thought he should, you deny his power and his authority. What I've learned is God will not always come the way that you expected him to come. There will be moments that God shows up in ways that you were not praying for him to come. Just because he didn't come packaged the way that you desired didn't make him any less God. As a matter of fact, it makes him even more God because he's telling you, I don't have to do it your way to do what I want to do. I can be God and it not happen the way you thought it should. Now, here is, mm, here's, how, here's how I'll show you. Mm, come, come around me real quick. Come here, Roger. Give me Roger. Roger, I want you to stand right here. Um, Y'all know each other? Act like you do. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Great act. (laughs) All right. Can you tell me his name? Roger. Can you tell me where he's from? Atlanta. All right, that's where he lived now. Where are you from, though? Where was he born? You know, like Jesus was born, you know, in the Zern. No, no discerning. Come on. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is he married? No. Yes, no. No, no. Even though you see that wedding ring, he ain't married. Got it. Does he have any children? I don't know. Okay. What does he work? I don't know. You see, for a moment, how he acted like he knew him. But when I began to ask the questions about his character, there was nothing he could communicate to me about Roger. Because he had a surface level interaction that made everybody else think it was deeper than it was, but he did not know the totality of the man he was shaking hands with. I I would dare to say that too many of us come to church and because we know him as God, we call him God, but because you've only seen one aspect of who he is, when we really ask you the depths of who he is as your Lord and Savior, your responses are minimal because there has not been enough time in his presence to really digest the totality of who he's called to be because when I really know him, I know he's more than just God. I know he is in all things through all, 
all and everything that exists is because he is. When I've been with him, I know that why he is Alpha and I know why he's Omega. I understand that everything that exists is hinged on his word. I understand that he's Rafa. He's the Lord that heals me. I understand that he's Nisi, my banner in the time of storm. I understand that he's Rohi. He's the Lord who is my shepherd. When I'm with him long enough, I learn parts of his character that I don't need anybody to whisper in my ear when I know him for myself. What I'm saying is, if he is who you say he is, there should be something in your heart that makes you want to know him more than you already do. Now see what y'all hadn't watched this. The first presider has tiptoed away from God. In one moment, he was right here with him. But when he realized he didn't know as much as he thought he did, he slipped back into what he used to be. I don't want your lack of knowledge now to make you run from the one that can tell you everything you need to know. What makes hearts go apostate is when I use my own logic and reason to fabricate a story about a God that has already told us everything we needed to know. Are y'all with me? Now what first presider still has not done is come back to the one that has the questions for everything I've asked and find out what the answers are. No, 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 don't come yet. No, no, don't come. Don't come because I told you to come. Because if you only do it because I said it, it's not authentic. If you're only doing it because the apostle told you to, it's not the real thing. If you're only moving because somebody made you, God will never hold you responsible for your action. There's got to be something in you that says, I hunger and I thirst and I want for him more than I've ever had him before. And I don't want my daddy's testimony. I don't want my pastor's testimony. I don't want my wife or my husband's testimony. I want to be like Paul. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to the image of his son. But what we've settled for is being in his presence, but his presence not changing us. It's not enough to be around him. If being around him, you're not learning something about him that changes you. It's not enough to sing about it preach about it, pray about it, if what I'm giving is not giving me the knowledge that has the ability to change my heart. All right, let's try it again. What's, what's, his, what's his name? Roger. Okay. What, what, where is he from? Alabama. See, you, you, just, see, you just satisfied with surface level. You just love Alabama, just Alabama. You don't even know, no, 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 no. You don't even know what city he's from. All you just say, Alabama. That's real generic. That's real. Because here's the thing: when you don't have enough to fight with, the enemy will always test you with the little bit you got. 
And what makes most people run is that they can't survive the test off of what they don't know, but they've been around. Some of the stuff you ain't picked up yet is really not anybody's fault but yours, and the enemy knows it. Consequently, he's going to put you on trial based on what you ain't got and try to punk you not to not go back to the one that has the ability to give it to you. He wants to put you under a cloud of condemnation that keeps you from running to the one that has the ability to reveal everything you need to know. Can I ask you something? When was the last time in your private time God could show you something about him you didn't already know? When was the last time you were still enough? I know I was so glad we shouted earlier because I knew that this wasn't going to be a message that was going to make you backflip. When was the last time you could be still enough that God could give you what you needed for your next? When was the last time you didn't get so hasty and move so quick to where you could sit down and hear what he was trying to download to you for your future? Ready? Let's go. What city from? Ashland, Alabama. Who? Roger is from Ashland, Alabama. Spell it. You got three What's the kid's name? See? How long? See, something in you has got to get the wherewithal to ignore hell when it's trying to question you about what you're trying to get. Some of you all have spent too much time trying to respond and not enough time saying, I don't care what hell is saying to me today. I got to stay right here until I get everything that God has for me. You are too distracted by demonic influences to be still enough to hear what God is saying about your future. When God can teach you how to not be moved when hell is trying to talk you out of what he's trying to give you, he'll always have your heart. What we have erroneously taught people to do is to shout in the face of the enemy. My truth is, Every time the enemy shows up, it's an opportunity for me to get new revelation about the one that I'm going after. Ready? Let's go. Come on. So what I need you to do, yeah, look at me. Focus here. Look at me. Focus here. Look, look here. Focus here. Hey, hey, what's your name again? What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Hey, hey, what's your name? I'm almost done. What's your name? Hey, what's your name? Hey, 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 hey. But what I don't want you to do is get so lost in God that you lose everything else he assigned to you too. You cannot be so focused and so heavenly minded that you miss the very thing God assigned to your future. You can't get so drunk in God and so heavenly that you miss. I got a whole house I'm supposed to lead to. As for me and my. 
Because what I don't want you to do in the name of deepness is to lose the thing that God gave you to have first. I don't want you to be so concerned about seeking God's face that God never tell you, get up and check on your husband. He's about to lose his mind. Appreciate your intercession, but tonight he needs to know that you love him and he needs to hear your affirmations. I don't want you to be so deep and so wonderful that when God gives you something for your wife, you miss it because you're in the heavens and can't apply it in the earth. Are y'all with me? This is all, and I'm almost done. This is all heart matters. Because when God has my heart, he's also going to tell me, we've had a, we've had a good time today, but now I do need you to get up and go to work. I have not called you to full-time intercession. I need you to go clock in and be me on somebody's job. I didn't call you to be such a priest in your house that your kids never see you. That they forget to have a daddy until you show up for dinner once a month. I want you, everybody said be grounded. Because if God has my heart, he's not just trying to make me be deep and wonderful. He has my heart so he can give me what I need for my next and then give it to who he's called me to give it to to help them manage it too. Are y'all with me? Man, I don't know why this wasn't even the route I was going, but I don't want Connecticut to be the place where marriages are broken up because everybody was so godly centered that they forgot the first ministry God called them to was the one that he put them in covenant with. I don't want you to be so high-minded and your heart so centered on heaven <laughs> that you forget that God gave you something to work in the earth. And now hell is whispering to the one that he put you in covenant with and putting lies and planting seeds in the one that you say you're called to. While you're off doing the amazing work of ministry, your house is crumbling and falling to pieces, all while you say, I'm doing it for God and I'm building his kingdom. God didn't call you to build his kingdom but lose what you get. he gave you. If it's his kingdom, it's going to stand if you do the work or not. Are y'all with me? Yeah. But if he put me in covenant, I'm still trying to figure out why I'm holding this wife's hand. And ain't nobody come to take the very thing that belonged to them. Now he said he was trusting, but how many of y'all have put your trust in the enemy and you called it God? And it's got you. Thank y'all so much. All right. All right, three minutes, I'm done, I promise you. I'm going to pray for you, I'm done. Um, <laughs> I promise you, three minutes, I'm done. Um, here's the next point. When you're dealing with apostate hearts, they'll always try to make your methods adapt to what real ministry is. Meaning, if you don't do it their way, they don't think it's the right way. The only way that God can do it is if he does it the way he showed us how to do it. What I've learned about God is this. I have watched the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, move in the midst of a Catholic cathedral. 
And it wasn't just goosebumps. It was the Holy Ghost of God moving in the midst of something that everybody's called dead. I've watched God move in Presbyterian services the same way I've watched him move in Pentecostal services. Now watch, it may not look like our style of demonstration, but it doesn't make it any less God. God didn't spit in everybody's eye when he healed them, but it didn't make them any less healed. Some of them he called by name. Bartimaeus, he called them by name. The woman with the issue of blood touched a part of his body, a part of his clothes. He doesn't have to do it the same way for it to be him. Can God do something that you're not acquainted with and you not write it off as witchcraft? Are you sensitive enough that if it doesn't happen by your persuasion, it can still be God? I've been in the midst of some predominantly authentic, uh, Caucasian services, and in the midst of those services, I have watched God move mightily, and miracles happen, and nobody's voice ever raises above a talking level. For them, it's their place of faith. Are you okay if God doesn't do it the way that we do it and know that it's still him? The danger is when we demonize anything that's not our method. We are no greater than the Pharisees. If every move we have to find and critique it to say why it can't be God. You are still a modern day Pharisee. If you are knocking the way somebody else does it because it's not your flavor. I told our church Sunday, I may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I'm somebody's. Listen to me. I may not do it the way that you like it, but just because I don't do it your way don't mean it's any less God. Are y'all with me? Point three. When you're dealing with apostate hearts, the heart of the matter, they'll always talk about how it's been done. And they'll never talk about what God is doing now. Whenever you're dealing with a heart that's gone far away from God, they live in their history because they have no future. Take a deep breath. Breathe in, breathe out. I'm telling you, this, just, this is a cutting message. I'm going to be done. When was the last time you talked more about your tomorrow than your yesterday? When was the last time you gave greater attention to what God wanted to do in your next five years and less attention about all the doors you missed five years ago? When was the last time you stopped crying about what you lost and started anticipating what you were about to get and stopped being frustrated because it did not happen your way? Here is a truth about God. God is the God of your history, but he don't live in it. Even when the children of Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, God said, do whatever y'all want to do. But the cloud and the fire are moving in this direction. God is never obligated to go back to where you came from. So why are you? Y'all take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. I'm almost done. I promise y'all. Uh, five, seven, 30 minutes. Somewhere now I'm going to be done. Let me give y'all a hard truth. Take a deep breath. This is a deliverance tool. Breathe in. Breathe out. If you know more gossip than you do about your future, if you know more about what's going on in everybody else's life 
and you have listened to every podcast, you have watched every video, you're stalking what everybody else is doing wrong, and you can't tell me what's going to happen in your life in the next six months, I'm telling you right now, your heart is just as apostate. Apostasy was just when you started denouncing God. No, 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 no. Very often, people leave God before they ever leave the building. Their conversation begins to tell where they're going. And your conversation is a direct reflection of what's rooted in your heart. Here, here's what I've learned. I, I, I can do this like a science now. I can sit down and talk to somebody for 15 minutes, and in 15 minutes, I can tell you in the next two to three years where they're going to be. You want to know why? In 15 minutes, I can listen to you talk long enough to see what's really in your heart. And if your conversation in, in 15 minutes is dominated by what you have not done, I can guarantee you, you're going to be in the same place you are right now because you don't believe it enough to speak it. When it's in your heart... You'll begin to talk about it before you see it become. Are y'all with me? Like your conversation will lead the way. When God has my heart, I don't care what Billy Bob and Joe and them are doing down the road. I could care less about who's sleeping with who, who doing whatever with whoever. I don't give two nickels worth of dog meat. Talk to me about what's going to happen in my tomorrow. Let me tell you about my five-year plan. Let me tell y'all how in 2020, right now, I'm in the process of building out a 32,000-square-foot building to serve as an apostolic hub in East Point, Georgia, right in the center of Atlanta. And I believe that as we raise it up, God is going to cause every drug house that's in our vicinity to shut down by the authority of the kingdom of God. God entering in. When you have a vision for your future, you don't have time to get caught up in the weeds of what's going on with everybody else. And if God has not checked you about your conversation, it may be because he doesn't live in a place where it's happening. Anyway, um, I'm almost done. Woo-wee! Y'all all right? All right. So what, what, what he'll start to do is he'll begin to teach you how not to be so centered on what's been done and start to focus on what God is doing. Can I ask y'all a question? Could you right now, if a multi-billionaire investor was right in your face, and told you to give him a 30-second elevator speech on what needed to happen in your life in the next five years? Have you so fine-tuned your vision that in 30 seconds you could convince somebody to sow a seed that'll change your life? Here's what I'm saying. You gotta be ready for it before it shows up. You gotta know that you know that you know. I don't have to have a millionaire in my presence yet. I can tell you right now, when they show up, I'm gonna tell them everything they need to know because I'm not focused on what I ain't got or what nobody else is doing. I'm focusing on what God is doing it. You know, and, and, I'm, and I'm done on this point. You know, when, when horses run, in the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, something very, for me, very um, specific has to happen. Before the jockey gets on the horse, 
they put these things on the side of their head. They call them blinders. The reason they call them blinders is they don't want the horses to get distracted by the other horses that are running so that they can maximize running their own race. I would dare to say if the kingdom could get blinders and not focus on what everybody else is doing and do your part the right way, God can open up vision, I'm prophesying now, vision and avenues for you that you have yet to tap into. What I'm telling you, what I feel in this room, there's a level of resource that your future is going to need that you haven't even began to scratch the surface on what heaven wants to do. But God has to kill every distraction in your heart and he has to extract everything that's not like him so that when it shows up, you won't taint it by your poor vision, your poor planning, and your poor ability to be sensitive to what he's doing now. God will send the investor when he can have your heart. Lift your hands real quick. Father, I thank you. Woo! That in this room, man, the miracle of a heart transplant happens by your spirit and your grace. There are men and women that you have planted strategically in the area of Connecticut. And you have planted them not to be doing busy work. You have planted them to infiltrate the kingdom of darkness and bring about the kingdom of God in the earth. In this moment, I declare and I denounce every spirit of distraction that has made them miss opportunities where you were trying to set them up for their future. And I release the grace on them to be like Isaiah and so focused, so eagle-eyed that they will never miss your hand again. I declare you're about to give some of them the skill of Nehemiah to climb the wall and build and have a resolution that they will not come down. I declare that even the principalities over this territory and over this region that have served as demonic blocks to everything heaven was trying to release, tonight we pray the prayer of Daniel and we declare that everything that's been held up in the heavens let it be released to the earth now that your sons and daughters will not suffer and they'll be able to build your kingdom strategically I declare in Jesus name that all of a sudden apostolic hubs would be raised in the state of Connecticut that serve as tools of ministry healing and deliverance. I declare that the spirit of prophecy would run out every lie of hell and cause everything that was not to suddenly tumble down. I declare that the demonic principalities that be at the walls of Jericho in and around a city and a region that tonight that there is something you put in the hearts of sons and daughters that's going to make every wall over this city fall down. Tonight we declare that everything that wasn't like you, uh, that's been erected in our flesh, tonight we put it on the altar and we declare, Father, burn it up. If it's not you, uh, we built it by ourselves. We declare, Father, burn it. And we ask, Father, that you help us to construct what will survive the fire and what will survive the flood. Uh, we ask you, Lord God, to give us the handiwork of heaven, to give us the 
the wisdom of God to allow the spirit of grace to overtake us in such a way that we demonstrate your kingdom at work in the earth, that we begin to build in the marketplace and in the church. Father, I thank you for marketplace and mountain overtakers. I thank you that even in this region, the mountains of entertainment, the marketplace of entertainment, that Father, you bring it under subjection of the kingdom of God and you raise up men and women with the strategies of heaven and you send investors that have held on to the enemies to the enemy's money for them that now you release unto them everything that was of the wicked let it be transferred to the just father I thank you for apostolic men and women that understand the need to build and to build well I ask you tonight to anoint men and women with the wherewithal to build with strategy to build with intentionality to build with your kingdom in mind let every work be tried by fire that which will remain let it remain we hope you enjoyed this episode thank you for listening to the Ecclesia Global Podcast where once again we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We'll see you next time.